Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath, and good to see you again in our Revelation class. And we are nearing the end of the book, sort of, chapter 18. So we're still counting this chapter. We have five chapters to go, but we've gone through the first 17 chapters, and that's quite a feat, I would say. There's a lot of information in the first 17 chapters. And today we're going to be studying Revelation chapter 18, which is a very important chapter. So why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sabbath day. We thank you that we can study from your word. We ask for a special blessing now as we study Revelation chapter 18. I pray that we will live to see the fulfillment of this chapter. And be with us now as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment, we have a microphone um, for the recording. So raise your hand, and I may call on some of you to read. So, Revelation chapter 18 follows Revelation chapter 17. However, it's not exactly in chronological order. How do I know that? Um... Chapter 16 is about the seven last plagues. Chapter 17 shows us why the seven last plagues are poured out. And then in chapter 18, it's a warning message to keep us from receiving the plagues. How do I know that? Verse 4 of chapter 18 says, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. You see that? So Revelation chapter 18 is like, hey, you just saw the plagues in chapter 16. Chapter 17, you saw why Babylon was judged. Here's the warning message so that you don't have that experience. So that's the chronology and the relationship of Revelation 16, 17, and 18. Now that we've set that foundation up, then we'll, we'll jump right into chapter 18. And I'd like a volunteer to read... Um, Revelation 18, verses 1 through 5. So, a volunteer to read Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. We have volunteer right over here. Okay, thank you. So, here we have the introduction to Revelation 18. It gives us really the, the main point. Um, we have an angel coming down from heaven. The earth was lightened with his glory. We're going we're gonna to spend some time on this verse. That's certainly not a verse to rush past. And then we see the, the concept that Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. And we're going to get into that. We see all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We see the call to come out of her that we receive not of her plagues. And we see that her sins have reached to heaven. God hath remembered her iniquities. So we're going to start here in verse 1. And as we see... Now that we've studied Revelation chapter 16 and 17, we understand that there is coming a time when God is going to pour out the seven last plagues on Babylon. And there is coming a time, as we studied in Revelation chapter 17, when we we get to the seventh head and the ten kings who have a kingdom with the papal power make war with the lamb 
we see that that is the reason why they are judged. That is the reason why the plagues are poured out upon them. And we see that when <clears throat> the plagues are, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the plagues are poured out upon Babylon because Babylon makes war with the Lamb. And we see that all the world wanders after the beast, so to speak, during this time. So seemingly, the whole world sides with Babylon. The whole world makes war with the Lamb. But then the Lamb overcomes them. And the seven last plagues are poured out on Babylon. And Babylon is destroyed. And so... <clears throat> The natural human reaction when we study that is, well, if the whole world wonders after the beast, how do I have a chance in the last days? You know, how do I have a fighting chance to be on the side of the lamb or the good side or God's side if seemingly the whole world wonders after the beast at the very end of time? And Revelation chapter 18 the very beginning of this chapter, answers that question. And we saw from the chronology that this is a message that comes just before the plagues are poured out on Babylon. So, once again, we see God's mercy where he is trying to reach his people before his wrath is poured out. So verse 1, we see it clearly here. After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. So the first thing we see, we have an angel, which represents, which also means messenger, coming down from heaven. So we have a heavenly message. And notice the characteristics of this message. Number one, this message has great power, okay? So, a message from heaven that has great power. Secondly, the earth was lightened with his glory. So, a message that has great power from heaven and the earth is lightened with the glory of this message. So... <clears throat> And remember the chronology here. This is before the seven last plagues are poured out. So if you have a message coming from heaven that has great power and the earth is lightened with the glory of this message, how many people do you think will be made aware of this message here on this earth? The whole world is going to have access to this message, right? And so here you see, again, the great mercy of God. Babylon's about to be destroyed. It's about to be judged. And God, in his great mercy, sends a message from heaven that lightens the earth with his glory. Now, <clears throat> let's break down verse 1 a little bit more. <clears throat> what is it that gives this message great power? <clears throat> Let's turn to Acts chapter 1.
Acts chapter 1, verse 8. A volunteer to read Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We have a person over here. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Okay. Now, this verse, of course, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, but the application of this verse isn't just limited to the disciples. So, notice this chronology here. It says, Ye shall receive power, and that Greek word is dunamis. What happens when God's disciples received power? We see that the Holy Ghost's came upon them and they were witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So when the disciples received the power of the Holy Spirit they received power to take the gospel message to the then known world in their generation. And in Revelation chapter 18 here we see a message coming down from heaven that has great power, which tells us that the Holy Spirit is involved in this message that has great power that's coming from heaven. It also tells us that if the Holy Spirit is involved with this message that has great power, that this message will therefore then go to the uttermost parts of the earth just as the message did during the apostolic time when the disciples received the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the disciples received the power of the Holy Spirit. The message then went to the uttermost parts of the earth in their generation. Here, a message comes from heaven having great power from the Holy Spirit, and we see that the earth is lightened with its glory. So that makes sense. The, when the Holy Spirit empowers the message, the message then becomes worldwide in its scope. Everybody knows about it. We see then that the earth is lightened with his glory. Now, <clears throat> here's a, a question that each of us needs to carefully consider. <clears throat> we have been entrusted with the three angels' messages since the 1840s. And it would be fair to say, well, it's obvious, that Revelation 18.1 has not yet been fulfilled. We've had lots of evangelistic meetings, a lot of soul-winning efforts, which have done a lot of good, and yet there has never yet been a time that it can be said that the earth was lightened with the glory of God in the context of Revelation 18.1, the message that comes just before the final destruction of Babylon. And, you know, that bothers me when I, whenever I read this verse, you know, the, the initial reaction is like, oh, wow, that's going to be an awesome time. We'll be alive, and the message is going to go to the whole world, and wow, that's going to be amazing. But maybe the, the thing we should really be asking ourselves is, why has Revelation 18.1 not happened yet? And when you look at the verses that follow, <clears throat> that might give us some clue as to why this message hasn't happened yet. First of all, and we're going to get into this, but this message that 
is empowered by the Holy Spirit that lightens the earth with God's glory identifies who Babylon is and why they are bad. And it doesn't mince words. It says it's the habitation of devils and every unclean spirit. And it says to come out of Babylon. Now one of the problems with Seventh-day Adventists today is we're trying to make common ground, at least in many places, people are trying to make common ground with the fallen churches of Babylon rather than giving our distinctive message. Now, we don't want to do this in an unchristlike spirit or that defeats the purpose. We remember that this is a message of mercy to call people out, but I'll just give you an example. Um, and I may have said this before. You know, the book Questions on Doctrine gets a lot of heat for how it messes up the nature of Christ and the atonement, and it should get plenty of heat for that. But it also dumbs down the concept of Babylon. Now, why would it have done that? Because it was a book written to try to convince evangelical Christians that Seventh-day Adventists were solid Christians. The only problem is we were trying to convince Babylonians that we're okay Christians. And so what do we say about Babylon? We say, well, there will be a Babylon at the end of time, but we don't say who Babylon is in that book. Um, so it's that kind of a spirit that makes us um, not ready yet to give a message at the end of time that says, this is Babylon, come out of her, if we're saying, oh, let's not call them Babylon because that wouldn't be nice. Um, and again, we have to do it in the right way and in the right spirit. Um, I have heard people give the message and it's not going to help people to come out of Babylon. So you, you don't want to do that. Remember, it is a message of mercy that God is sending. But as Seventh-day Adventists, we should not be ashamed of the three angels' messages. They are the messages that God has given us in these last days. Now, <clears throat> what we see here is, so this message has great power, so there's going to come a time when people are not afraid to give this message. And we notice also, it says, the earth was lightened with his glory. So this is a heavenly message that is lightened with the, the glory of this message. Now, <clears throat> when we think about the word glory, and we've already studied this in the context of the first angel's message when it says, fear God, give glory to him. Um, the concept of what God's glory is, and you can study in the book of Exodus that God's glory is his character. So I'm not going to repeat that study that we, did, that we did earlier. But just as a reminder, glory represents God's character. So what we have here then, we have a message coming from heaven that has great power, filled with the Holy Spirit, and it lightens the earth with God's glory or his character. Now, how is it that God's character will fill the earth or enlighten the entire earth when this message is given. We have a, a hand in the back here. Okay, so if I heard you correctly, you said that this is um, a representation of God's people who have his character who are giving this message at the end of time. And that is indeed true. Because <clears throat> what happens 
if you think about what is being described here in Revelation chapter 18, if we are studying this in a literal versus a symbolic sense, <clears throat> just based on common sense alone, but also based on the context, you're not going to have a literal angel coming down from heaven who's saying with a loud voice all of these various things. God is going to use his people who he has given this message to to give this message of warning to the world. So God's people are the ones who are going to give this last message of mercy to the world and it's going to lighten the earth with God's glory. So what happens here then is we see that this message has great power. We see that God's character is lightening the earth with his glory. So what happens is we see Holy Spirit power upon a message that is being given by God's people who have his character. So verse 1 describes a period of time when the power of God reaches a point that it has not yet been seen here on this earth in the lives of God's people. And this happens when the latter rain is poured out on God's people. Does that make sense? So we saw from Acts chapter 1 verse 8, this message has great power and power is associated with being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you have a message that has great power being given by God's people, they must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at the end of time, the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon God's people is the power of the latter rain. So Revelation chapter 18 verse 1 describes the time when God's people receive the power of the latter rain and through that power of the latter rain, God's message for the last days lightens the earth with his character. And I'm just going to read a couple of quotes from Ellen White. This is Last Day Events. <clears throat> and this is quoting... From Great Controversy, page 611 and 612. <clears throat> the great work of the gospel is not to close with less manifestation of the power of God than marked its opening. The prophecies which were fulfilled in the outpouring of the former reign at the opening of the gospel are again to be fulfilled in the latter reign at its close. Servants of God, with their faces lighted up and shining with holy consecration, will hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven. By thousands of voices all over the earth, the warning will be given, miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, and signs and wonders will follow the believers. So there will come a time when this last day message will lighten the earth with God's glory. Um, and then when we look at the chapter, and actually I'd encourage you to read Great Controversy chapter 38 entitled The Final Warning in the Context of Revelation 18. That has a lot of good information. Um, she quotes Revelation 18 and goes through a number of issues and basically talks about how God's people will rise up 
and give this message with great power and how the mainline Christian churches of the day will do everything they can to stop this message from going out. So you can read that chapter on your own. So the last thing I want to say about verse 1 before we move on is what we're going to study next talks about Babylon, but verse 1 really places an emphasis on the power of God and his glory, and which is an emphasis on his character. And just to make this emphasis again, if we wonder why <clears throat> this message has not happened yet, why we have not reached the point where Revelation 18.1 has happened, you know, we can look at other people and say, yeah, you know, they've... Um, They've dumbed down the message in our church, and maybe that's true, but what about us? Do we have the glory of God, the character of God in our hearts, um, or do we have an unchristlike spirit towards those who we disagree with in the church? You know, people who we feel are lowering the standards, making it harder to get the truth out. Do we pray for those people and ask the Lord to forgive them and, and maybe help them to have a conversion experience like Paul did, who initially was against Christ and was, was helping to stone Stephen and then became the greatest apostle? I mean, who knows? There could be many of those still in the church if we're praying for them. But if we have this holier-than-thou attitude like the Pharisees, then, you know, what good does the truth do for us? And... um we have a comment down here in the front. So just give us a minute to get to you. And um, so the key then is we need to have the spirit of Christ in how we give this message to others. Yes, that's very true. So the, the key point there is we need to be praying for the early rain first because God won't pour out the latter rain on those who have not yet received the early rain. And if you do a Bible study on the early rain... It's about heart conversion, surrender to the Lord, being like Christ. And when we have the early rain experience in our hearts, then God can pour out the latter rain on his people. And I, <clears throat> I wanted to read a quote because, um, you know, there's going to come a time when, when God's people <clears throat> will give a message that lightens the earth with God's glory and they will call people to come out of Babylon. Um, and... In many respects, when we do our meetings, our efforts aren't terribly successful. And in some circumstances, I would say, based on this quote, um, well, anyway, let me read it. Third Selective Messages, page 260. This quote says, The standard must not be placed so low that those who accept the truth shall transgress God's commandments while professing to obey them. Better, far better, would it be to leave them in darkness until they could receive the truth in its purity. So do we wonder why our evangelistic efforts aren't so successful right now? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do evangelism. We should. But many of our churches are not ready to receive people because they aren't preaching the three angels' messages. And if if we're not giving the three angels messages, what's the point of bringing someone into the church if they're going to continue in their sins that that they came out of the world from? So, you know, 
if we're going to do soul winning, let's do it God's way. And I encourage soul winning. We should do more of it. But if we're going to do it, let's follow the, the methods that God has given us so that the people that we bring in, they're solid. They're not unsure of, of our doctrine. So that's just a, a point there. So there will come a time when God's people are ready to give this message that will call people out of Babylon. We need to be praying that we will be those people to give that message. Because I'd like to live to see the day when the earth is lightened with the glory of God through his people. Now, I certainly don't feel qualified to be among that group because I know myself. But through the power of God, all things are possible. And it will be to his glory. And really, when we look at this world, this needs to happen. Um, We need to stop being so comfortable with our lives here on this earth that we're too afraid to give this message with power. So that's Revelation 18.1. I don't think we're going to finish chapter 18 today, sorry. But verse 1 was important. So we've read the first five verses. Now, here's what's interesting to me. So the earth is lightened with the glory of God's character. And then we see what the substance of the message is, starting in verse 2. And it says, He cried mightily with a strong voice. So there's no whispered tones to this message. We're not trying, whatever the message is, it's not trying to be politically correct at this point. It's it's a strong voice. It's very mighty. And the message is, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. Now where have we seen this before in Revelation? Yeah, this is the second angel's message of Revelation 14. So, This last message, this final warning, includes the second angel's message. And I've said this before, Seventh-day Adventists love to preach the first angel's message, but not so much the second angel's message. But the last warning message to this world will have a very strong component of the second angel's message. It's not just going to be the first angel's message of the everlasting gospel. And like I said before, when we studied the three angels' messages, you can't get to the second angel's message unless you understand the first, which is the everlasting gospel and the concept of the judgment, fearing God, giving glory to him, God as creator. However, God didn't stop with that message. He went on to the second, which says Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And at the end of time, when he gives a the final message of warning to this earth, the strong component of this message <clears throat> is that Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And <clears throat> why does Revelation 14, 8, <clears throat> excuse me, and Revelation 18, 2 use the phrase is fallen twice? <clears throat> Why doesn't it just say, is fallen? And we have a, a comment right down here. <clears throat> so why does Revelation 14 verse 8 and Revelation 18 verse 2 say, Babylon is fallen, is fallen? Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> I'll highlight what was just said. So, you know, in the 1840s, 
this message was first given. And in some respects, you know, the whole world heard about the first and second angels' messages through the Millerite movement. And Ellen White tells us that in the summer of 1844 is when the second angels' message reached its fulfillment in history when the Millerites got kicked out of the churches. That's when the second angel's message was fulfilled and they started preaching Babylon has fallen and Charles Fitch was the first Millerite minister to do so. Now one of the things also Ellen White says about the phrase is fallen, is fallen, is that if you look in Revelation 14, that phrase is fallen, is fallen is also there. She points out that Papal Rome had been fallen for many centuries, but the Protestant churches joined with Papal Rome in becoming fallen in the 1840s. And so, is fallen, is fallen denotes that Papal Rome has fallen and her daughters are fallen. Is fallen, is fallen. So, there's a, a twofold fall to Babylon, Papal Rome and the Christian churches which rejected the first angel's message. And at the end of time, what's happened is that Babylon has gone even farther. You have the image to the beast, enforcement of Sunday legislation, and all of these things. And so now God sends a final warning message to get people to come out. And Babylon includes the mother and the daughters. We saw that in Revelation 17. She's the mother of harlots. And so that's all we're saying here is that when God sends this last message of mercy to the world, he's calling people to come out of all of the churches that have rejected the three angels' messages. And when we study that, there's clearly only one church that is proclaiming the messages that will be a safe place to be at the end of time, and that's the organized Seventh-day Adventist Church. Not independent splinters of Adventism, but the organized Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, And there may be faults within the organization, but anyway. So we have this message. Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. I mean, that's strong language. I mean, you know, we, we try to be so politically correct in this day and age about, and I, I said this before, but I mean, you know, John McCain got endorsed by an evangelical minister who happened to come to the conclusion that, that um, the papacy was the great harlot of, or the great whore of Revelation from chapter 17. And McCain immediately distanced himself from the minister and said, this is um, intolerance and we can't put up with this. And, and, you know, the minister was just saying what he thought he had found in the Bible. And, um, of, yeah, and so it's interesting. And, of course, um, I'm not here to defend John McCain by any means, but um, all I'm saying is that it's interesting, and, I, and it's interesting that, um, I guess I'll take a little aside here, you, you look at the current political environment, um, you know, the, the Christian coalition is on really the side of the, the right, so to speak, and then on the left you have, you know, the atheistic and and against God type of movement. But when the left heard about a minister on the right 
identifying papal Rome as the great whore of revelation, they called that intolerance and hate speech. And so, you know, both sides are out there. Um, and so when we as God's people give a message that lightens the earth with God's glory and we say Babylon, we identify who Babylon is, it's papacy and the fallen Protestant churches that are, are her daughters. We identify that very clearly, very strongly and mightily. There's no dumbing down of this message at the end of time. This is the loud cry that lightens the earth with God's glory. It's going to be, you know how the world's going to take this message? It's going to go over like a lead balloon. They're going to call us intolerant, guilty of hate speech, and everything that you can imagine. And of course, once again, <clears throat> let's not get a um, persecution complex here and say, we're, we're preaching the truth, they just can't take it. Mm. And I've seen people do that, and it doesn't work. And we have to remember, this is a message of mercy. God sees his children in Babylon and all those churches who've lived up to the light that they have. He's kept them in those churches so they wouldn't be deceived by errors or other problems. And then they come out when this message goes out, and this is a message of mercy, and we give it with the Spirit of Christ, but it's, it's still going to go over like a lead balloon. Now, we have a, a comment over here. Mm. Okay, so, so what we see here in verse 2, then, <clears throat> is there's going to be a strong message. It identifies who Babylon is, papal Rome, and the fallen Christian churches. And notice it's become the habitation of devils. And you may say, well, that's kind of strong language. But remember, in Revelation 13, the dragon gave his power, seat, and authority to the beast with seven heads and ten horns. And we saw who the beast with seven heads and ten horns was in Revelation 13 and in Revelation 17. It's clear. Papal Rome. So it's become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit. Remember those three unclean spirits like frogs, which came out of the mouth of the beast, the dragon, and the false prophet? So we see that. And then it's the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So <clears throat> this is very serious and strong language, but God's people who are faithful and true, when they realize that they are in the midst of an organization that is actually controlled by the devil and they see God's message, they're going to come out. And that's the message of hope. Let's see. Um, boy, I didn't think we'd only get through the first two verses, but anyway. Verse 3 <coughs> says, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So we see all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And um, we'll come back to some of this next week because we're really um, cut short on time here. But um, so in verse 3, we have all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, kings of the earth. And so what we have here. And we've studied this before. So the wine of her fornication, the wine is the false doctrine. All nations have partaken of it. Kings of the earth have committed fornication. That's the union of church and state. 
And then we see the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So the financial leaders have also made an alliance with Babylon at the end of time. And that's something to pay attention to right now in this current climate. You know, what, what happens in this current climate, the current financial climate, with respect to Babylon? And then verse 4, and we'll come back to this next week. But then we see the message um, that says, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. So, <clears throat> again, you know, I hear people say, you know, as long as we all believe in, in Jesus, you know, let's not go sheep stealing to other churches. Well, you know, the Bible clearly shows that God has given us a message to call his people to come out of Babylon. It's not sheep stealing. It's bringing God's people to a safe place so that they will not receive the plagues at the end of time. So anyway, we will get back to this next week. There's so much in this chapter. Thank you, everyone.